So today we begin episode six of our series in the book of Romans. The title of the sermon today is Solidarity. If you have your Bible at home, I want to encourage you to turn there, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. We're going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and you can always read on the screen below as well. Will you read God's Word with me? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I just returned back from vacation and it was wonderful. We spent some time in Vermont, incredibly beautiful state. First time there, the green mountains and nature, the wilderness and creeks and waterfalls, just totally beautiful place. The weather was spectacular, 75 during the day, 55, 60 at night. But I realized something while we were in Vermont. And that is, nature is terrifying. It's terrifying. It's, at least for me, maybe not for you, nature is terrifying. I'm, I, we're out there. I mean, some of the places we stayed, there was no cell service. I mean, I don't know the last time I've ever been somewhere where there's no cell service. That's terrifying. I never know what's in the woods, what's happening out there. there there's a saying that maybe you've heard of before, which is, you could take the boy out of the country but you can't take the country out of the boy. A friend of mine today told me, for you it's the opposite. You could take the boy out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the boy. And that was true. I mean, we were driving back to Boston to fly back home, and it felt like we could breathe again when being in the city. Nature is terrifying, at least for me. But it was a great time of relaxation, refreshment. I can do it on vacation, but not for too long because then I get scared. But one of the things I noticed there, and every single place I've ever been where 
you know, a town or a village or a city that's in the mountains and in the woods, I've noticed something. I don't know why this is the case, but I think it's true. And that is, there's wood carvings everywhere. There are all types of carvings of animals and statues, and you're just hiking in the woods, and you'll see a carving. There's something about being in the woods where you got to have a stick, and you got to have a knife, and you want to whittle something. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I saw this in Vermont too, is that there's a big difference between good wood carvings and bad wood carvings. Big difference. So for instance, this right here is a bad wood carving. This is terrifying. It's supposed to be a bear, but it looks like a gremlin. And this is what nightmares are made of. It is not good at all. But there are some incredible wood carvings. Check out this one. Look at this wood carving. This is good. This is excellent. It's beautiful. Why is this such a good wood carving? Because it's intricate. It's detailed. You could tell that it was carefully curated. And it looks complete. You can tell this is a bear. In fact, it looks like a photo. That's how good it is. You see, when you look at a good wood carving, you can completely tell the identity of whatever was sculpted. It's clear to you. It's complete. And here in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this incredibly detailed and intricate and carefully curated passage, almost like a wood carving, because he wants you to see it. It's this important doctrine, this truth in its entire form, complete, so that you might gain an understanding of your identity. You see, what you're going to see here in Romans chapter 5 is how God sees you. And this is one of the most transformational truths of the gospel right here in Romans chapter 5, in these verses from 12 to 21. So let's look at verse 12 together because we're going to go through this. We're not going to skim over it. We're going to dive in and look at all the details and the intricacies that the Apostle Paul writes to us because it is powerful and beautiful and transformative. So verse 12 says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This verse right here, verse 12, is like a chain reaction. The Apostle Paul is saying, because of one man's sin, death has come into the world. Because sin equals death. Sin deserves death. So by one man, Adam, his sin in the garden, death has come into the world as a reality. And then he says here, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so death is a reality because Adam sinned and it is spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Now that word sinned at the very end of verse 12 is really important to understand because this word is in the aorist tense, meaning it is pointing back to a single past action. Now, on the surface, when you read verse 12, and maybe even as you hear that, you think what the Apostle Paul is saying 
is that the reason that death is a reality and that death reigns is because of a single past action of sin in your life. Because you are like Adam. Because you have sinned, not just one time, but if you think about your life, you know many, 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 many millions of times. And because of those past actions, death is a reality. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's not saying that death is true of our existence and that it reigns because you are like Adam. He's saying that it's true because you are in Adam. He's saying that word sin, that we all have sinned, is pointing back to a single past action, meaning the single action of Adam in the garden when he chose to disobey God and sin entered the world. That we have sinned in that. We are in Adam. That when he sinned, we sinned. And this is an important distinction that we are sinful and death is a reality not only, not simply because we are like Adam, no, actually because we are in Adam. Because when he sinned, we sinned. It traces back to the single past action. You see, the Apostle Paul here in this chain reaction is pointing at the very beginning of verse 12 and saying it's because of the original subject, Adam. Now, we're going to develop in, in this sermon, in this text, why that distinction between being like Adam and in Adam is so important. But I have to address a question that you may be thinking right now. Maybe you've read this before. Maybe you're hearing this, that sin is a reality of your life. Death is true of your life, not because you're like Adam, though you are and I am. We are all sinful. But because we're in Adam, that when he sinned, we sinned. That because he's guilty, we are guilty. I have to address what is, you're probably thinking, which is, that is not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. Why is sin a reality for me? Why is death a reality for me? Because of what Adam did. Because of a single past action. That's not fair. You see, this statement here by the Apostle Paul, this truth here, offends our sense of justice. It offends our sense of justice. It doesn't seem fair. You see, we're okay with facing the consequences of our actions if we are like Adam. So we're okay with saying, listen, I'm a lot like Adam. I rebel against God. I ignore God. I take my life into my hands because I want to be like God. And so I'm okay with facing the consequences because of that, but I'm not okay with being told that I am sinful from birth and death is a reality because I'm in Adam because of his choice. It doesn't seem fair doesn't seem fair at all. It's kind of like growing up with siblings. If you have siblings, you may have experienced moments where you guys were all together in a room and something broke. You broke something and it was one 
of your, maybe it was your brother or your sister, they broke a picture frame, they broke a glass vase, and your parents came running in, and they didn't see who did it. They don't know who did it, so they punished all of you. Everybody got punished, and you said, hey, 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 that's not fair. I didn't do it. I said, no, no, you guys were all together. You're all complicit. You're all connected in this. You're all punished. You all, you all get the same punishment. You're like, whoa, that's not fair at all. And you stormed off to your room saying your parents aren't fair. It feels just like that. Wait, 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 wait. I am not complicit for what Adam did. That's not fair. That wasn't my choice. That was his choice. Why am I in him? Why am I guilty? Because he's guilty. When he sinned, why did I sin? I don't see how that makes any sense. Everybody should get a clean slate. That's how we want to believe, that you're born with a clean slate. Everybody has a fair shot, and if you make poor choices, that's on you. If you're like Adam, that's on you. But being in Adam, that you've sinned in Adam, doesn't seem fair at all. Why do we struggle with this? See, not every culture always struggles with this truth claim, this statement. We struggle with it because we come from a highly individualistic culture. We are conditioned within and we are affected by a highly individualistic culture. One where we feel that we are only responsible for ourselves. We should not be responsible for what anyone else does or says. Only ourselves. Now listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I know the right theological answers here. I've studied it. I know how to respond. But even when I read it, even as I'm telling you this, there's something inside of me that feels like, oh, it rubs. Is it fair that it's sin is a reality and death reigns, not because I'm like Adam, but because I'm in Adam's sin? That because he's guilty, I'm guilty. I feel that tension too. You see, one of the things that's really interesting about our culture is that we recognize our connections to other people. And we recognize the importance of connecting with other people. In fact, so many companies and organizations, they create slogans around togetherness and connection to move forward their agenda. If you go on social media, you'll see influencers and creators that will label their fans, things like nation or army or squad, people they've never met that they don't know, but there's a sense of connectedness that we know as human beings that we are connected to people that we see in the physical world, that we interact with in the digital world, and these connections are important. However, we value the perception that our connections are by choice, that we are connected to people that we want to be connected to. And if we don't want to be connected from people, we can sever that and we're no longer in relationship with them. What they do and how they think and their actions no longer affect us because we chose to sever that relationship or to never engage in it in the first place. Our connections are by choice. So we say things like, I stand in solidarity. Right? Oftentimes when we say that we stand in solidarity with someone or with a group of people, 
it revolves around someone's pain or social justice initiative or problem that we need to stand in solidarity. We need to listen. We need to empathize. We need to advocate for those that need a voice or stand alongside and support. And listen, that is a beautiful thing and it is a virtue. We are to stand in solidarity with people. But we don't only stand in solidarity with people. We don't only choose our connections. Okay, I want to stand in solidarity with you. I'll choose that. I don't want to stand in solidarity with you. I I won't choose that. I'll choose you to be a friend. I'll choose you to be in my inner circle. Our connections are not only by choice. We don't only stand in solidarity, but we also sit in solidarity. We are connected to people that we did not choose and maybe we would not have chosen. We are connected to family, whether we chose some members of our family or not. We are connected to past relationships that we may not have, if we had a a do-over, we wouldn't have chosen that relationship, but we're connected to those past relationships. We're connected to a boss or to coworkers. Maybe we didn't choose. We're connected to elected officials. Maybe we didn't choose. You see, we don't only stand in solidarity with people that we choose to connect with, but we also sit in solidarity with a whole host of people that we never chose. And it is important for us to understand that connection is a value, that connection to people is important, but to not fall prey to the illusion that all of our connections are by choice. They're not. All of our connections are not by choice. We choose some connections with people and others are chosen for us. We choose representation and some representation is chosen for us. We choose to stand in solidarity and some people we sit in solidarity with that we never chose. You see, this is so vital for us to unpack the reality that we are connected to people that we choose and that we didn't choose. Why? Because it gets at the heart of the distinction between being like Adam, which you feel like you chose, maybe through your decisions in life, certainly all of us are like Adam, but also that you are in Adam. That whether you like it or not, you are connected to Adam to that very first sin in the garden, that when he sinned, you sinned, that you are guilty because he is guilty, that you are born sinful. Why? Because of that decision. In the garden, death reigned and spread to all of humanity from that moment. You don't only stand in solidarity with Adam because you make similar decisions rebelling against God, but you also sit in solidarity with him too. That is true. In theological terms, this is often called federal headship. Federal headship. Now, federal headship takes place in other arenas as well. Federal headship speaks to a a person who through a covenant relationship represents or stands in for someone else. So an example of federal headship would be an attorney. An attorney enters into a a binding contract with a client, and then the attorney receives power of attorney. 
they are given the power to represent their client and the interest of the client in a court case, for example, for better or for worse. And you can judge whether it's better or for worse depending on the outcome of the case. But they stand in for and represent their client because of the contract and the agreement between both parties. You see, Adam is our federal head. He is our representative. We are in Adam. When he sinned, we sinned. And you immediately, I know what you may be thinking, but I didn't choose him. <laughs> There's no agreement. I never had any agreement with Adam. I didn't give Adam the power of attorney, so you should throw the case out. I didn't choose him. In fact, knowing the result now, I would have chosen someone different. Not him. So it's not fair that I'm in Adam. But listen, God chose Adam. And God chose Adam as your representative. God didn't only choose Adam, but he created Adam. And he responded exactly like you would have. You see, when we struggle and we feel that tension between not just being like Adam through our choices, but being in Adam, and we struggle with feeling like, why is he a representative for me? Why is he my federal head? It humbles us to remember that God chose him and created him to be our representative. And guess what? You and me and anyone else we could, have think, we could think of would make the same choice. Would make the same choice. You may be still struggling with that, but let me tell you something. The very fact that Adam is our federal head, the very fact that we're not only like Adam, but that we've sinned in Adam is really good news. It is really good news. You're like, wait a second. How is this really good news? It's really good news because it reveals to us that God deals with us through a representative. God deals with us through a representative. representative. It is precisely because of federal headship that you can have peace with God. It is precisely through federal headship that you can have peace with God. Look at verse 14b here in Romans chapter 5. It says this about Adam. It says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay. So what if there's a second Adam? What if there is a new and better representative? What if there is a new and better federal head? The Apostle Paul says in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see, Adam in the garden through his one trespass brought about death. His choice in the garden was egotistical. He chose to rebel against God because he hoped that he could then be like God. 
The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, there was one who has come that Adam pointed to. Verse 14b was a type of the one who was to come, a new and better representative, a better federal head. And he says here, that new and better federal head came bringing a free gift, grace. That is Jesus Christ, the one man, Jesus Christ, who offers a free gift through his own self-sacrifice. He chose not to rebel against God the Father, but to obey God the Father so that you might be with God, that you might have peace with God, your Creator. The Apostle Paul continues in verse 16. He says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So that one trespass, that one sin brought about judgment and condemnation. Brought about death, as the Apostle Paul has already said in this passage. One sin even equals death. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. But the free gift of salvation by grace through faith from the one man Jesus Christ brings justification. And he says it brings justification for many sins. Not just one, but many sins. You are made right with God. You are justified. You have peace with God because of the free gift of salvation given to you by grace. Apostle Paul says in verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That in Adam, death spread to all. You are in bondage to sin, and to death. But then he says, because there's a new and better federal head, in Christ, you're no longer in bondage to sin and death. It no longer has spread as a cloud over your life. No, now, in Christ, you reign in life. You reign in life. How do you reign in life? By grace, through faith in that new and better representative. That new and better federal head. By grace. The Apostle Paul has been using that word time and time again. Grace. By God's unmerited favor to you. You see, death is justice for sin. You get what you deserve, not only because you are like Adam, and I am like Adam, but because we're in Adam. But the free gift of grace, the free gift given to us by Christ and His sacrifice is grace and we get what we don't deserve. We get to reign in life and we receive the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. Christ, we are made right with God. We are justified. We have peace with God, our Creator. 
You see, listen. Adam is your federal head physically. Death is a reality of life, and sin is a reality of life. None of us can escape it. No amount of good works, no amount of striving can lead any one of us to escape the reality of sin and brokenness and death. Adam is your federal heads physically. But Jesus, He is, however, your federal head spiritually. He has become your federal head, your representative spiritually. Through faith, you are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ. You have a new and better representative. See, this is good news that God deals with you not as an individual, but He deals with you through a representative. He deals with you through a representative. Look at verse 18 through 19. The Apostle Paul, as he's fine-tuning this carving, is going into all these intricacies so that you can see the complete picture, this beauty, this good news. He says, verse 18 through 19, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, one trespass led to condemnation for everyone, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, being made right with God, and life for all men, for everyone. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Listen to this. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. One of the things that we love to do as people is categorize people. We categorize people in so many different ways. We categorize people by their country of origin. You are Colombian or Cuban or Chinese or American or Italian or Ethiopian or Brazilian. We categorize people by country of origin. We categorize people by age. You're a baby or a toddler or a kid or a teenager or a young adult or an adult or just wise. You categorize people by wealth, the amount of finances they have. We do this, right? You are poor or middle class or upper class or lower middle class or lower upper class or upper middle class. We love to categorize people. You see, Scripture makes something clear. In regards to your standing before God, there's only two categories. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Only two options. You are in Adam, in bondage to sin and death, or you are in Christ. You reign in life. You are made righteous. You either receive the curses of Adam or the blessings of Christ. The question that you have to deal with, and every person has to deal with, is who is your representative? Who is your federal head? Are you in Adam? Or by grace through faith, are you in Christ? Because listen, when you are in Christ, you receive not only what you lost by being in Adam, physically, by nature of being born, 
You not only receive back what you lost by being in Adam, but you receive so much more. John Calvin, the pastor and reformer, has a great quote. He says this, Adam, by his fall, ruined himself and those that were his because he drew them all along with himself into the same ruin. Christ came to restore our nature from ruin and raise it up to a better condition than ever. What is that better condition that you are raised up into by being in Christ? The very end of verse 19, it says that so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The better condition that you are raised up into by being in Christ is that you are made righteous. You see, Adam was created righteous. He was perfect. But he was created with the possibility of becoming unrighteous by rebelling against God's commands. And he, he did that. He chose to rebel against God and therefore became unrighteous and sent into the world and death is spread. But when you are in Christ, when you are in Christ, you are not only forgiven for your unrighteousness, but you are beyond the possibility of ever being unrighteous again. Did you hear that? When you are in Christ, you are not only forgiven of your unrighteousness by the, by the fact that you are in Adam and also like Adam. You're not only forgiven of your unrighteousness, but you are now beyond the possibility of ever being declared unrighteous again. Why? Because your righteousness is no longer your own. Your righteousness is no longer your own. Your righteousness is Christ's righteousness. You are made righteous. You have received His righteousness, His obedience for your disobedience. Yes, you may be unrighteous in, the, in regards to how you see yourself because you're like Adam. You continue to sin, I continue to sin. But that's not how God sees you. You have received the righteousness of Christ. You are beyond the possibility of ever being declared unrighteous again because your righteousness is no longer your own. Your righteousness is Christ's righteousness. You now reign in life. You are a victor. You are forgiven and established. You are free. You are made new. That is the good news. God doesn't deal with you as an individual as you strive and as you work hard to say, God, look, I'm trying to improve. I'm trying to become more righteous for you. No. God deals with you through a representative, through Christ, who takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. In theological terms, this is called the doctrine of imputation. That your sin is imputed to Christ on the cross. He pays for it, and he gives you in exchange his righteousness. Christ takes your disobedience, and he gives you his obedience. It's not that your slate is just wiped clean. It's that you receive an entirely new slate that is not yours. 
It's Christ and His righteousness. And this is rooted all the way back in the Old Testament, this doctrine of imputation. See, in the Old Testament, the people of God understood that they were sinful. They were in Adam and they were like Adam. So every year on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, they would, through this ceremony and worship service, they would cast their sins upon a lamb that was sacrificed and they would have a scapegoat that would be sent out to pay for the people's sins. But it wasn't a sufficient sacrifice because it was repeated every year. But Christ has come, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, takes it upon Himself. He takes your sin. He takes my sin. It is imputed to Him. And in exchange, He gives you His righteousness. And it is a sufficient sacrifice. A once-for-all sacrifice. Martin Luther said that this is the glorious exchange. The glorious exchange. I want you to picture a, a military group up on the mountains. They are up there planning to overthrow an evil regime, but they're spending time in the mountains kind of building out their strategy. But one of the issues that they're running into is that there's not enough food for everybody to eat freely, so they have to ration out the food. Well, the advisor comes to the general and says, hey, listen, we have a problem. Someone is stealing food. The, ra- the food is not matching up. The rations are getting less and less. Someone is stealing food. So the general makes a, de- a declaration. says, listen, here's the new law. If anyone is caught stealing food, they're going to be tied to the whipping post and whipped 40 times. The number that will kill most people. It's a death sentence. So that goes out. The general feels good. Hopefully that's going to stop the stealing. The next day, the advisor comes back to the general and says, listen, hey, we have good news and we have bad news. The good news is we found the person stealing the food. General's elated. This is great. And we can uh, can last here longer. We can get get back to the rationing, not be fearful. The advisor says, "I, I got bad news though. The bad news is it's your daughter. But the general's heart sinks. What does he do? He has to uphold justice. The law was broken. He already made a public declaration. Everybody knows whoever was caught stealing the food is going to be lashed 40 times. That's the sentence. That's just. But he loves his daughter. He knows his daughter won't survive. So everybody gathers around the whipping post. They bring the daughter over there. Everybody knows that she's the one that stole the food. She's guilty. They put her up on the whipping post and they tie her up and the general is thinking, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And the person that has the duty to, to whip is getting the, the whip ready, looking at the general like, I, I guess we have to go forward with this. Cracks the whip back. And the general stops everything. Hey, 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 stop, 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 stop. Everybody looks at him. Is he going to let her off? He walks up to his daughter. He looks at her. He gives her a kiss on the cheek. And he takes his shirt off. He covers her up. And he says, listen, I'm taking her crimes. I'm taking her punishment. And she's actually going to receive all of my merits. She's actually going to be established as a new general in this army. I'm taking 
her actions and she is receiving my merits. And he receives the 40 lashings. See, this is exactly what Christ has done for you. He has taken your sin, all of your unrighteousness, and he has paid for it. He died the death that you deserve and I deserve. He received the condemnation and the judgment and the punishment that we all deserve because we are in Adam and we are like Adam. And then he said and declared to you and to me, and also, guess what? I'm not only forgiving your sin, not only taking your sin, I'm also giving you my righteousness, my obedience. All the rights that are afforded me are now given to you. This is the beauty of how God works with you through a representative, a federal head. And your sin is imputed to Christ and His righteousness is imputed to you. Listen, this should remind you that you are truly free by grace through faith. Listen, your identity, your identity is not rooted, it is not found in your striving to be like Christ. Your identity is is in Christ. Did you hear that? I'm going to repeat that again. Listen. Your identity is not in your striving to be like Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in your efforts. It is in your representative. Christ Himself. Apostle Paul is rounding this out in verse 20-21 through 21, and he says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says the law of God has come and trespass and sin has increased. Why? Because we are more aware of how sinful we are. When we read God's law, when we look into our own hearts, the law written within our heart, and as written in God's word, we see very clearly that we are worse off than we ever dared imagine. We are more sinful and more broken than we want to admit to anyone. The Apostle Paul says, grace abounds. Grace abounds. That grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life. Whose righteousness? The Apostle Paul has only been talking about one person's righteousness the entire passage. It's not yours. It's Christ's righteousness. Grace abounds because Christ's righteousness through faith has been given to you. It has been credited to you leading to eternal life. You are beyond the possibility of being declared unrighteous by God. Now God sees you as Christ and His righteousness which covers you not in your sin. You are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ. This is your identity. Yes, you know and I know that we are worse off than we ever dared imagine. But as Pastor Tim Keller says, when you realize that you're in Christ, you are more loved than you ever dared hope. You are more loved by God than you ever dared hope. And I want to close with this. Going back to the carving example. The journey of your faith, church, is not to try to sculpt your life like a carving so that God sees you as pleasing and acceptable. As you're striving to be like Christ 
And so you're trying to carefully curate your life so that God accepts you. No. You're already complete. The carving, the work is already finished. God sees you as righteous. And that is the identity that you are to live out of. You see, it is the only identity that actually produces in us the ability to actually strive to be like Christ. When you recognize that you're already in Christ and God sees you not for your sin and your brokenness, but he sees you because you have received the righteousness of Christ, then you can actually, in a healthy way, strive to be like Christ because you're already in him. It curbs against self-righteousness or despair when you fail. Listen, you sit in solidarity with Christ. Therefore, now in this life, you can strive to stand in solidarity for Christ. I pray that you receive and see the beauty of God's truth. Will you pray with me? God, we don't deserve this free gift, this great grace. We are worse off than we ever dared imagine, but we are more loved by you than we ever dared hope. I want to thank you, God, that you deal with us through a representative. You don't deal with us as individuals striving. You deal with us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ who sacrificed his life for us, whose obedience is granted to us through faith and our, our disobedience he paid for. Would we as your people, God, would we sit in solidarity with Christ? Would we recognize how you see us and live out of that freedom, seeking to stand in solidarity for you, in our workplace, in our families, with our friends, in our city. Help us to see this beautiful, transformative truth. And God, I pray for anybody tonight, today, that feels as if they had to earn your love, that they had to strive to be accepted by you, that they would see that this truth, this forgiveness, this freedom, this righteousness credited to your people is all grace. It is unmerited favor. And all that they need to do is respond to you in faith by surrendering. I pray that if that's you, if you're praying with me right now, that you would surrender your life to Christ. You would receive the free gift of grace. And that you would Rest in that identity of freedom, reigning in life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.